What is up, team? Welcome back to the Red Storm Rapid Reaction Podcast. I'm Pat Kane. I'm joined once again by my good friend Cole Latshaw. And we're here again, you know, almost like clockwork. A month goes by and Rick Patino just surprises everyone again, takes the college basketball world by the neck and grabs a big time transfer commit. This one, a player who previously uh, we thought escaped out of the clutches of, of Rick Patino's hands, went down south to Tennessee. But Chris Ledlam, a New Yorker, a transfer from Harvard, decides that maybe a change of heart was necessary and maybe a change in uh, coaching was necessary. And he took the leap back up to New York, decided he wanted to come play for Rick Pitino. And thankfully for us and the St. John's faithful, he decided to do so. Uh, Cole, Chris Ledlam, what do you think? We officially have our starting power forward. I, I have reached the point where I need to ask Rick Pitino to slow down and like, can we please stop with like the additions for the 2023, 2024 roster? I've officially ran out of pages on my notebook and I'm now like writing notes on the, the cardboard backing. So either Pat needs to increase the budget for the Redstone Rapid Reaction podcast or Rick Pitino needs to not sign any more recruits, but couldn't be happier. Again, like, you know, starting power forward, I think, you know, the, expectations have changed i sure we can talk about that later but uh i have adjusted what i'm hoping for for next season now with this roster like maybe finally fully fleshed out but super yeah bummer. i don't know we can't speak too soon cole there's still a few months left till the season starts and with this guy at the helm you know who knows what could happen but i agree i think chris uh, is a de definite uh starter a big time add and kind of solidifies um our power forward position and the guy you know we had kind of you know forgot about a month or two ago when he decided to go down south and all of a sudden within a week he opens it back up and because he's a graduate transfer he has the ability to you know seemingly transfer up until the beginning of the school year starts whereas an undergrad uh has that time constraint so uh, interesting to see if anyone else might consider that we saw quinn Slazinski uh, perhaps opened up his recruitment because of this and him being a graduate transfer he has the ability to do so as well but it seems we got Chris Ledlam. Um, you know, in my opinion, that's an upgrade over Quinn. You know, no slight to him. Would have liked to see him here. But um, definitely an upgrade. Definitely a guy who uh, pundits and people around the country will look at Chris Ledlam as a big-time transfer ad. And, and you could tell by the high majors who are after him uh, when he first opened up his recruitment. And even the, the uh, new programs that we're trying to get in the mix now with his second time in the transfer portal, I think Gonzaga had reached out, West Virginia is still trying to flesh out their roster and didn't even really bother sort of checking in on any of those situations. He tried, and tried to get in, but, you know, if you believe the guys who are seemingly in the know, it seemed like this was kind of wrapped up uh, right when it started. And, um, you know, I don't know if I love the rules where guys can, you know, transfer this late, but, you know, as long as, um, you know, St. John's is getting the benefit of it, I'm not going to be complaining. Um, St. John's surely has their uh, fair share of good luck and goodwill to come their way, and we're going to enjoy it while it lasts. That's at least uh, my opinion on it. Um, anyway, I've got another graphic, uh, one of Cole's famous graphics coming up to discuss Chris Ledlam a little bit further. Um, before I do that, let me make sure that I don't block out our good friend Cole. There he is, right back in it. All right. So Chris Ledlam, as I previously said, he's a 6'6 senior transfer from Harvard. Last year, he averaged 18.8 points, 8.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1.8 steals. He shot 47% from the field, 29% from three, and 64% from the free throw line. He is a physical beast of an athlete. 
uh, strong attacking from the perimeter, can really get to the rim. A good finisher both from uh, the perimeter off the drive or from post-ups or inside dish-offs. He is a mismatch maker, someone too small, he's going to be able to take inside. Someone too big, he's got the quickness to get around them. And he makes plays defensively. Last year, he averaged nearly two, two steals and over one block a game. Um, I can't speak you know, too much on his individual defensive ability when it comes to locking up, but those are plays that lead to turnovers, plays that lead to highlights, and with Rick Pitino's defensive acumen, I'm sure we can utilize him as an athlete to be a quality defender. Uh, he was an Ivy League first-team all-conference member. He played for the New York Jayhawks AAU program. Uh, like I said, 1.7 and 1.8 steals respectively over the last two seasons, so can get it done, um, forcing turnovers on that end. Last year, he had 16 games with five or more free throw attempts out of all our combined exiting players. We had 22 games um, of 16 or more. I'm sorry, of five or more free throws. So quite the acumen in terms of getting to the free throw line. He had nine games with 10 plus rebounds. He's an excellent rebounder, both offensively and defensively. And he had five games with 25 or more points. Can really fill it up scoring wise. I think this is a huge late addition to the roster. We should immediately become the best option at the power forward. Give us some more flexibility to play with bigger lineups if needed. A physical specimen who can create mismatches, mismatches, mismatches inside and out while providing Joel with some help on the glass. Cole, your thoughts on Chris Lidlam? Rebounding, rebounding, rebounding. You just said helping out Joel on the glass. Uh, I think he averaged 2.6 offensive boards per game. So he's got a nose for the ball. I, I love to see somebody that gets after it, especially that much on the offensive glass. Um, I, I think he's really solid at shot selection. Um, I think it was 1.08 expected points per shot last year, uh, averaging 48% from the field, despite, as you showed, like only shooting 29% for three. So that really speaks to how many shots he gets off at the rim. I think he, he shot like 59% at the rim on like 58% of his total shots. So he does a great job. I, you, I love that you put in there. One of his skills is a mismatch maker. He's, he has great offensive awareness of knowing who, who's defending him at any given time. You see him constantly moving, depending on if it's a big man, he's sort of out more by the perimeter, trying to take that big man off the dribble and drive. Or if as soon as there's a switch that happens and he has a smaller guy on him, he's immediately posting up on the block and trying to get the ball to take somebody down low in the paint. Um, some of his numbers against high majors, like looking at his sort of game by game splits, uh, Played his now current teammate, RJ Luis, at UMass and dropped 25 and 10 on 7 of 13 shooting. Uh, played on a neutral site against Louisiana and had 15 and 8 on 6 of 10 shooting. And then played at Kansas, where he scored 17 with nine rebounds. A little bit of a rough shooting night. I think he relied too much on the three in that game. Shot two for nine from three, six for 18 overall. They do have uh, that entire game is available on YouTube. So I was watching some of that, kind of just trying to get a feel for for what he looked like on a full game action, especially against such insane. I think Kansas number four at the time, such great competition. And you really see like just how heavily Harvard relied on him. And you know, I, I don't think that will be the case here for us. It'll, he'll be able to more pick and choose his battles, but I mean, he's really involved so heavily on a, a possession by possession basis for them. And you can see one of the things that Bill Self really tried to do, obviously, Ludlum was the main focus of the game plan. And Chris was really starting to, like they had a big man on him in the beginning that he was really driving, taking the ball to the rim. And Self was immediately flashing a double coming up to stop him out of the paint. And first two possessions of the game, first two baskets for Harvard were two nice passes. He's a very sneaky, good passer and facilitator. I think he averaged 1.5 assists per game. Uh, but, um, and then, obviously self-made adjustments and and they sort of 
Tommy Amaker had to get away from that game plan. But uh, a very excited, great late addition, as you mentioned. The only real def- the, the only real weaknesses I can see in his game, the three-point percentage, I think sometimes he might rely on the three-point shot a little too much. Obviously, again, he's not going to be the sole focus of team, so I'd expect that three-point percentage to increase. And did again, just really watching the only full game tape I've seen is that Kansas game. It does seem like at times, especially off ball defense, he can get lost and sort of that leads to, you know, teams backdoor cutting him or open three point attempts sometimes in transition too. Uh, obviously Kansas is just far superior athletically to Harvard, but sometimes Chris was getting beat in transition. But outside of that, just exactly the, what we needed to fill in that starting power forward role. So superior rebounder and should fit in tremendously next to Joel. Just like our recruiting here, Cole, you're getting better and better at this analysis stuff. I mean, some game by game stuff, deep dive on statistics. You even went into a coaching breakdown on Bill Self. I mean, thank you for all that, Cole. And now I'm going to have to this time be the one who brings a little bit of cold water to the discussion. Not that I'm not super excited about Chris Dudlum, but just some things that might uh, lead to us tempering our expectations. You know, and remember, this is a, a player who's coming up from the Ivy League. Um, you mentioned some of those uh, better games versus some opponents. I'd also like to point out, um, as a freshman, you know, this is as a freshman and he's gotten better, but he's only had so many opportunities versus uh, high major teams. Zero points versus Texas A&M, four points versus Maryland, 10, ver- 10 versus Texas A&M. Um, seven games in his career, he's played versus A-10 teams, which was the most versus um, any conference other than the Ivy. And uh, pretty good numbers. I think this is the most, um, you know, compelling argument for why he can make this jump as a senior now against Big East uh, competition. He averaged 16 and 8, 56% from the two, 28% from three. So that's pretty good numbers. 16 and 8 against a, a higher level in conference, the A-10 below the Big East, but still he, he played some of those games as a freshman, junior, and a senior. So they can, you know, be that type of player, 16 and 8. That would be absolutely fantastic, I think, in a St. John's uniform. Um, one thing I thought was interesting, and he you can't take everything, you know, as is context matters. Like you said, he was ultimate green light. Teams were focused on him defensively. Um, but the amount of threes he took last year was more than any St. John's player on a per game basis. So a little bit of a uh, quick trigger from deep. Now, keep in mind that teams, I'm sure, were trying to force him to beat him from the perimeter. So maybe he was taking what the defense was giving him. But still, if you're shooting under under 30% from three, I don't think you should be taking five threes a game. Um, so that's one thing to consider. I know some St. John's fans were getting on guys like Dylan or David Jones for taking too many threes. And keep in mind, this guy was taking more threes than they were. Um, so it's just something to be consistent about. I think that's something that he'll either have to make a higher percentage of this year or take a few less. And I think both those things are, are probably likely with the amount of help it'll have offensively and the guidance from Rick Pitino. So nothing that, you know, would scare me away from being excited, but just some, the other side of the coin, maybe some potential things he'll have to improve on. And, and we'll see if he is able to uh, take with him as he comes up in a little bit higher of a competition level. And I think another like real important thing to keep in mind as far as him stepping up in competition from the Ivy to the big East is obviously it was a tremendous performer in the Ivy league. But the other thing is that he was a, four-star top 150 kid coming out of high school. So this probably isn't, you know, your typical Ivy League level recruit when he was first coming out of high school. So he does have that background as well as being a prospect. Just like Dingle, the other Ivy League transfer who we're super excited about, go back, check that podcast, if you you will, folks. Um, Huge. I mean, just like physically, it's not going to be the physicality that is an adjustment for him. 
or that will be a deterrent form. It's just going to be, you know, competition one through five on each side of the court will be high major talent guys who would be shining in the Ivy League. And he's going to have to step up and see that on a consistent basis. But it won't be because he's not strong enough or physical enough to play at this level. And I think that's an added bonus for some of these guys who are, who are crawling up in a, in a, in a level competition wise. I've got an updated depth chart here, Cole. Again, um, I mentioned Quinn Zinski decided, or the you know the reports are he won't be coming to St. John's. Um, this includes Dennis, who is at this point still up in the air. Um, he still has to graduate, but um, I'm not a, an inside source guy. I haven't heard whether or not that's likely or not. Seems to me that there isn't too much discussion, and and uh, Rick Pitino has gone gone ahead and uh, you know got some suitable backups if. You know, at the last second, we find out Dennis isn't there. But still, I'm hoping he's there, and this depth chart has him included. Um, if we had everybody, all 14 guys, we're back to 14 guys right now, I think, right, Cole? It's hard to keep track. I would start Dennis at the one. I'd have Jordan Dingle at the two. Um, I think I'd have uh, Glenn Taylor Jr. at the three. A um, lot of discussion there at the three, a lot of different options. You could go a multitude of ways. I think Chris Ledlam slides in automatically with the starter at the power forward spot and Joel, the obvious uh, starter at the five. Um, that leaves a potential backup group of five of Wiltshire, Aline, Luis, um, Ejafor at the center and either Treyor, Ao, Dunlap, Conway, a multitude of guys. I mean, you could have a, a backup group of five who could conceivably be starters for a St. John's, a few St. John's teams over the last 20 years. As uh, Homerish as that sounds to say, it's it's believable if you've been there watching some of the dreadful St. John's teams we've put out over the last 20 years. Regardless, a lot of options, a lot of possibilities, uh, a lot of room for discussion. You know, obviously people are going to disagree or agree on and a few different ones. But Cole, your thoughts on the depth chart? You, one of the things that you just said um, is just such a perfect point. Like, what a talented potential second group. Like we can do the, the hockey line shifts type approach of bringing in a whole fresh new five. I mean, that was one of the things that Rick said about playing against UConn in the NCAA tournament was, you know, Iona played them so tough. And as you started to wear down that first unit and players started getting into foul trouble, the next five that Danny Hurley could bring in were just as talented as that starting group. And that was where he struggled was, you know, he just didn't have the talent at Iona. Yeah. So uh, having such a deep team is such a breath of fresh air for us as St. John's fans. But yeah, I 100% agree um, with everything that you laid out here on this depth chart. I know we talked previously with our Wiltshire podcast. You see how we keep doing those callbacks to the old podcast. The They're old out podcast. there. Red Storm so, Rap Reaction Podcast. Check it out on YouTube, folks. Check it out, folks. Uh, where I think Simeon Wiltshire at some point will take over the starting point guard role this year from Dennis Jenkins, but I for sure would say day one, I agree with you. I think Dennis, especially with his knowledge of Rick Pitino and the system, Dennis will be the starting point guard. Also with Jordan Dingle, I expect him to get minutes as well at the point guard position just because he's probably trying to sort of audition for the next level. And mm -hmm. with his height, he probably wants to show that he has facilitating making ability, but agree, like just looking at who's the better player at what position. I think Jordan Dingle is your starting shooting guard. And then you get into that three, four, like Taylor, Luis. I think either of them can play either the three or the floor, and probably we'll see both of them on the court at the same time in small ball lineups. But now with the addition of Ledlam, I think he's for sure penciled in at the starting role at the four. 
And then obviously, like you said, Joel is definitively the captain starting at the five. But as we've spoke before, I love the idea of him and Zuby sharing time on the same court. It's like a mega lineup four five together, which I think Rick has already said we will see at different points of the season, probably against bigger teams. But now with the additional Ledlam, we can sort of look at this more traditionally where Zuby is really going to be more focused in a backup center role with only that occasional time at the four, which I think probably is what suits him best. So I I think it's just such a well-constructed team. And is it November yet? Can we like throw the ball in the air and get this thing going? I I just cannot wait. You said well-constructed team and he did it in what? I mean, how many months is April, May, June, July? I mean, pretty much four months and change. He put together a whole division one top 25 caliber basketball team um and there were times when people were doubting and there were times it didn't look as as bright as it's turned out but god damn it did he not just make a fantastic roster a roster like you said is it november yet can't wait to see what happens i'd like to ask you i know you want that um joel zuby four five lineup what if we slid chris ledlam down to the three and just had a monster three four five can, <laughs> can you and can you envision any success there with that lineup? Just literally beat people up. Like, just grab every single rebound, throw every single elbow in the paint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not even that far-fetched. I mean, you'd have Zuby playing a little out of position in my mind, but Ledlam has got time at the three. He's not – I think his best fit is at the four. But it wouldn't be like, you know, something so far out in left field where you'd be like, what the heck is this coach doing? He'd have to well, be creative defensively, but hit the offensive well, glass hard, you know? throw that lineup in those three guys in with either RJ Luis or Glenn Taylor at the two. <laughs> We're talking NBA size. Yeah. That's huge. And, and Dingle at the one as like yeah. the, the strongest guy out there. Nobody's yeah, fun to think about. I think the most interesting, just at this point, I think Dingle, the two led them at the four, Joel at the five are certainly of high probability. Um, and that Dennis Wilcher one is interesting because Dennis is still up in the air, but I think that three position you know whether you want to call the third guard or the small forward um between taylor Luis, and aline um however you might see fit i think it's really interesting uh could go any which direction um i'm not sure how you could be definitive in any direction out of those three um i like them all it's like each day i think of someone else who i might like better than the other one previously and then i come back to the first one um, I love Lewis Luis's potential long term, and I think like he will end up being the best player when it's all said and done. I don't know if that will be the case first two months there. Um, I think Taylor might have the most talent next year, but I think his his role will change the most in terms of what he was doing last year at Oregon State to now. Uh, he was holding on to the ball for huge chunks of possessions. He had it in his hands to play make, and I don't think that will be the case as much next year. So we'll have to kind of see how that translates. And then Aline, you know, his three years at Virginia Tech, he was a double-digit scorer, um, a big-time contributor to tournament teams. And then we saw what he did last year in a reserve role, but a national championship. Um, there's no reason to believe he can't be a starter at the, on our team. So I, I go back and forth on those three guys starting at three, and who knows what might happen. You literally just took the words out of my mouth as far as Naheem. I, I was going to say, I think he's one of the guys, probably because he was such an early commit, that really is overlooked at this point by our fan base. I, he was a huge addition. I, I do agree with you that, especially in smaller lineups, like we can probably see him getting minutes at the three. Like if we had Dennis, Dingle, and Naheem all on the court at the same time with like three different guys who can shoot and handle the ball. Um, 
he really came on late for UConn last year. And like you said, if he can revert back to those VTech numbers, then you're talking about like a guy who can really fill it up. Um, and dude, like also, you know, we haven't gotten given him too much praise. We have given him praise, but especially like in these lineups when we're trying to figure out what he can do as a freshman, Brady Dunlap, I, I, you can already see in the pictures without talking too much about other men's bodies, like, and, and taking into consideration what they look like, but I already see him filling out. And we've talked previously about how uh, Rick really wants to see him more as like a stretch four role. Obviously I don't think that will happen in his. That's me year. putting that in his ears. I think, I don't know if Rick's come out and said that that's my hope. And my question is if, that, if Brady keeps putting on muscle, is there, are his dance moves going to suffer? <laughs> well, we can't have that. I, I think, think it was Brazil. I think you're right. I think Brazil mentioned that in the first article where that was the plan. I don't think it was a quote coming directly from, from Rick. But, yeah, I mean, hey, and if there's just so much some, versatility, uh, positional versatility, right? Well, hey, we hey, don't you know? And there's plenty of talk on the boards, you know, um, take it for what it's worth of, of Conway really impressing in these early practices. And he's a guy who's got – big time experience and might be more suited to accept a, you know, the role of that stretch shooter defender type. He might fit in better now with uh, Chris as the four, as opposed to if it was Quinn, you still bring a shooter out there. So maybe this is actually, you know, Quinn being out might be a bigger opportunity for Conway to sneak in and get some minutes. And I want to write that off. I'm not sure uh, how should. many would be, you know, a lot or what would be, you know, considered as serviceable, but I think he's in the discussion of being in a guy who, who could contribute. Might need more shooting out there on the court. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, cool. I mean, it's it's happening so fast. I I I'm not sure if we should close this off by seeing you guys in the in come October because who might know what happens? I know Rick has uh, a few irons in the fire in terms of big time recruits coming up and a lot with uh, big time New York, New Jersey uh, flair. So it looks like he's going to go out there and prove the doubters wrong that one St. John's can't recruit nationally. We just did that this year on a national scale in terms of bringing in transfers, but to get the top talent from the New York, New Jersey, greater uh, tri-state area to stay home. And he looks like he's got that plan for 2024 and I can't wait for it to happen, but I'm not going to, um, you know, forget about what we have going here, which is a potential should be top 25 team to start the season and uh, plenty of potential to go further than St. John's has gone uh, this millennium. Dude. So that's what I was just going to ask. Like, Assuming that this is actually the finalized roster, which I don't know that we can assume with Rick Pitino, but what are your expectations now? With the roster set, we know what mostly what the out-of-conference schedule looks like. Where are you at? What are you expecting this team to end the season like? Okay, well, I think it's important that nothing is guaranteed, and that sounds like a cop-out answer. But if I had to make a bet, I would bet on this team making the NCAA tournament with this roster and this coach. Um, I'd be, I'd feel pretty confident. If you're going to give me even money on that, I'd, I'd, I'd put a pretty good bet on that. Um, but anything can happen. Injuries happen. It takes time to gel. Other teams sneak up out of nowhere before you know what you're fighting for your tournament life. Um, I think you've got the right coach for that fight. I think you've got a more than quality roster for that fight. Um, it will be about gelling, uh, developing their roles. Um, but I think this is a tournament team with all the potential in the world. I don't think there's a matchup out there in terms of what we have, um, you know, in terms of size and depth wise that we couldn't handle theoretically. We could handle size, we could handle guards, we have shooters. Um, I don't see a weakness other than the potential for it not coming together fast enough. I don't see a weakness, you know, in terms of the talent we've uh, grouped together. 
and you put that together with a Hall of Fame coach, one of the best out there, why are you putting a ceiling on it? Um, I don't think you can expect to make an, an Elite Eight with any team, you know. I think this team has the most potential I've ever seen at St. John's to make it that far in the tournament. And I'll be super excited every time we go on the court, knowing we have a chance to beat whoever's out in front of us. And, um, and as soon as Rick Pitano fails me, will be as soon as I adjust my expectations. But I'm thinking we're going to go out there. We're going to have a top 20 team come season's end. We're going to be a top two or three favorite to win the Big East tournament when that comes around. And a team you know, in the top six or seven seeded wise in the NCAA tournament with potential to make a big time run. Yeah, obviously, like you said, gelling, I think, is probably the most important thing to be somewhat cautious about. You just have so many new pieces and getting them all to learn to play together is so vital. But with having arguably one of the, what, top five greatest coaches in the history of college basketball, like if anybody can get it done, it's that guy. So that's a little less of a concern than maybe it would be for me with most coaches. Uh, I think, and I think if we rewound the, rewound the tape, uh, I think probably when we got Dingle and Zuby, we probably said on that podcast expectations had become high enough to where we thought that they would make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. After the additions of Wiltshire and now Ledlam, and assuming everything's clear with Dennis graduating and, and being on the roster. I think I'm now past that. I think I'm now like round of 32 is what I expect. Not that I would ever consider, you know, a, a less than that a failure, especially when we got our coach as Rick Pitino and we have so many great pieces for the future. But I think that's where I'm at at this point is that I think this team is good enough and this coach is obviously good enough to think round of 30, get our first win in how many years? Over 20. First win in the NCAA tournament, I think that's reasonable expectations for this crew. Sure. And it's the Big East is going to be absolutely loaded. Um, it's going to be the talk of the NCAA next year. I just can see it already with, you know, the resurgence of some programs. Patino, you know, being probably the top storyline. And I saw a stat by Rothstein today. They had the most percentage of returning guys from first and second team all-conference players. I think, like, 62% of the first and second team from the Big East are returning. That was the highest in the country. Um, Big 12 had 0%. Um, so it just goes to show, you know, and, and St. John's is adding two Ivy League first-team players, a MAC first-team player. So, like, there's talent from other conferences transferring in and a lot returning. And that top four or five group of Marquette, Creighton, Xavier, Villanova, St. John's is going to be a dog fight, a knife fight out there mm -hmm. each night. And I can't wait to go out there with the machete we got with Rick Pitino. Um, anyway, guys, this has been another episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please leave a, a comment, a review, whatever you have to do on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Appreciate it all. Um, thanks to Cole for coming on. I mean, he is the reason these numbers are skyrocketing besides, you know, the Rick Pitino effect. We'll give Cole the credit there. Um, for Mark Jackson, this has been the Red Storm Rapid Reaction Podcast. I'm Pat Kane. That's Cole Lotshaw. Peace.